Metricast. What does filmed for IMAX mean? It isn't just a movie that'll look great on IMAX's screens. It means that hiding from a sandstorm feels like fear in every flicker. And every triumph is felt in every sound wave. And the things we've only imagined, you can truly experience those too. That's what filmed for IMAX means. Get tickets to experience Dune Part 2 now and IMAX's exclusive expanded aspect ratio. Hold on to your butts. We are changing the course of history as we see it. That is what Westman demands. Now this affects Iris. Um, Iris, where are you? What you feel only matters to you. I do not entertain hypotheticals. The world as it is is vexing enough. Iris, I have a tip for you. Don't take drugs! Or whatever movies with Wesley and Iris. What up and welcome to Or Whatever Movies. I'm your co-host Iris and I'm here with my older brother. Wesley Dufresne. Today we're talking a movie from 1994, the most overrated movie of all time. Wow. The Shawshank Redemption. You mean highly rated? Both. Really over? Is it just because you've seen it so much? Like I can't listen to certain albums and I can't watch certain movies. Like I don't watch them all the time because I've just seen them too much. Like what? I mean, I don't need to watch Back to the Future on a weekly basis. I know it by heart. Indiana Jones, we've talked about this. Terminator 2. Like, I think about these movies pretty much constantly. And you're saying that the Shawshank Redemption, there's a difference. Because, oddly enough, when Dad was in the hospital, this movie was playing on a loop. And I think he watched it on a loop. (laughs) Well, he's got the time. And this seems right up Dad's alley. And I read that Turner himself had bought Castle Rock... And then sold Shawshank to himself so that he could put it on loop. Right. And he can. It's it's cheap and it's a, like super favorite. So why not loop it? Shawshank Redemption at 91% tomato meter and 98% audience score on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, look no further than IMDb users, which is all user generated. Uh, what position do you think Shawshank Redemption holds in worldwide cinema for all time? Number one, dude. Ahead of, you know, Citizen Kane is like 50 now. It's ahead of The Godfather. (laughs) It's ahead of The Dark Knight, which people love. It's ahead of everything. Wow. And do you think it's deserving of that status? I mean, of all time. Look, I think you're coming from just saturation and from, you know, being tired of it. Like it's you just watched it so many times. I don't think this movie is bad by any stretch of the imagination. Brah, I'm just teasing you. I knew you'd get all hackles up and defensive (laughs) and stuff. I love the Shawshank Redemption. I was happy to return to it for this discussion. That being said, there is this prevailing sentiment out there, if you look, where people say this movie is overrated because it's formulaic, because it's unrealistic, because of the extreme inconvenient or convenient, depending on, on how you look at it, coincidences. Etc. Interesting. And so just like you all came in hot and like emotional about Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah. I thought that um, you might find this sentiment curious, if not totally offensive. I mean, you always have dissenters too, right? You got to, if it's 100%, then you got to have the one guy who mucks it up. Shawshank Redemption is the clunkiest title ever. And that may be over this many years, uh, the single factor to its biggest disadvantage, right? That it's a clunky title. What is a Shawshank? I I don't know. 
But Shawshank Prison is present in many Stephen King stories and many of the Castle Rock stories. But both Tim Robbins and Morgan Freeman, they're like, I love that Shank Shim, that that uh, Scrimshaw movie. I love that movie. That was great. But I fear that you and I may be in the minority. As we've discussed before, I, I lived in Stephen King books in middle school and high school. So in different seasons, uh, as we mentioned before, also the Stand By Me, The Body, that story came out of that, and Apt Pupil, Rita Hayworth and the Shawshank Redemption, which is the only way you could make this title clunkier, was a thing. And I was definitely one of those people in the theater who saw Shawshank Redemption and was really, really excited about it. At the time, I didn't care about awards or recognition or even about box office. I just knew that I loved that story and I was excited to see the movie. And everybody that I was in the theater with was also excited to see that movie. But no one else outside of that theater, probably for that screening, ever saw this movie until home video. Mm-hmm. Really saw a new life in home video, kind of largely ignored, at least in terms of wins at the awards. What else was popular in 94? It was a bad year, man. It was up against Pulp Fiction. It was up against Forrest Gump. Uh, it was nominated for Best Picture. It just never really had a chance. It was like the the Top Gun Maverick of 2023. <laughs> I mean, it was an audience pleaser in that way, but I'm not sure by the time the Academy Awards rolled around that many people were aware of it. It was, in fact, in the year of its release, it found success on home video almost immediately. But this movie relied almost solely on word of mouth, which was much slower to get around back in 1994. What were you doing in 94? I was a, I guess, a senior in high school, technically speaking. And I was screwing around and not close to graduating and hanging out with the chicken and going to see movies. We went to see Jurassic Park not long before a dozen times. Um, remember we talked about Amelie and mom, like when the love story comes together in the end, mom had like a visceral reaction. She's like, Nee-! she's all excited or whatever. That's on home video. <laughs> I did that at the conclusion of the Shawshank Redemption and I knew the story. I knew exactly what was going to happen. And, I, and and so Norton says, what say Fuzzy Bridges and throws the pebbles through the poster. And then he puts his arm all the way through to the shoulder and rips the poster out. And I was like, yeah, in the theater. I was all stoked. <laughs> it's just so satisfying. It really is considering how dark the movie is at times. I mean, solitary confinement. What do they call it? The hole? Yeah. Gang rape? Near-death beatings. Prison is no fairy tale place. Yeah, it's it's really brutal. But if you don't have a grasp of realism, if you're a little bit younger, it seems horrific. Because you can't imagine that level of dehuman, dehumanization when they chuck the delousing agent in your eyes and then send you Ugh. to your cell all naked and freezing. <laughs> Sets a tone. And then they torture fat ass all night. And everybody's mean until it's time for them to be nice. Everybody's like, it's fat ass by nose. And they're all like horrible people, including Hadley. Until Hadley beats them up or whatever. And then Andy Dufresne shows up. And then everybody's innocent. And everybody's like Hank Williams singing and, and like all feeding their birds maggots and stuff. What do you think of the convict with a heart of gold archetype? I mean, I guess, I don't know. It's, is it, are they guilty of crimes or whatever? Are they bad people? What I do do know, having never been in prison, is that there is definitely an honor code. And fundamentally, there is a part of people that are that are good and, and uh, loyal and 
and enjoy and embrace community and stuff. And so in prison, it seems to be mostly stick with your own kind or whatever that may be. And as long as you don't violate or disrespect other people, generally it's fine. But when retribution comes, it's brutal. It's swift and brutal and merciless. Yeah, I felt like a lot of detractors from this movie complain about how good and even sweet some of these characters are. Like specifically, they point out the moment where Andy gives gives Red the harmonica and Red's like, it's really pretty, Andy. And it's like all <laughs> sweet and touching and how they're like, that's so unrealistic. But I mean, even if you're a convict and guilty, it doesn't mean that you're like a horrible person all the time. Like, that's just unsustainable. I do not think that there are as many people innocent or good-hearted, except for that one terrible thing they did with the, as the, when they were a kid, as this movie would suggest. But, you know, we have to like these characters. And while I think it softens a little bit their general personalities, it allows that we can separate Red cleanly from his heinous murder. When he was a kid, you know, because you think about Brooks, right? And in fact, James Whitmore, who played Brooks, was like, hey, I'm going to do this scene and it's laced with profanity. And if Brooks was institutionalized in 1902, I don't think that he would talk like that. And so Frank Darabont's like, you're right, just take it out. And so Brooks is benevolent and sweater wearing and has a crow on his shoulder and stuff. You know what Brooks did in the novella to get put in prison? Uh-oh, what? He killed his wife and daughter in a murderous streak after a bad run of poker. <gasps> that sounds like a Stephen King character. Right? Good old Brooksy. But Brooksy's just <laughs> fine. And he works at the foodway, you know, and it's all good <laughs> until he's like, I wish to come back and I think about things I do to get back. I could kill the store manager <laughs> like a bonus. And it's a testament to his, you know, the fact that he is a kind of a career lifetime criminal who is, is accustomed to, uh, you know, atoning for his crimes or whatever. Well, a lifetime inmate, at least. Is the novel is the novella kind of as neat and tidy as the script? I, Where well, every storyline gets wrapped up and resolved and Andy is... Do they end on the boat on the beach in Zuatanejo? <laughs> no Stephen King story isn't homogenized a little bit, maybe a little bit toned down or, or more, made more even-tempered. But uh, I think that was the strength of this movie is making it a tight, condensed story, albeit in two hours and 22 minutes, that really ties everything up nicely in a bow. I mean, it really doesn't, if you think about it. We're so overwhelmed by how cleanly not only does Andy escape, but he sets himself up with the warden's money and gets the, the warden and Byron Hadley arrested at the same time. You're like, oh my God, that's amazing. But we also have the tragedy of Tommy and we have the tragedy of Brooks and the fact that, you know, he's the only one to get out. And Red, the difference between Red's and Andy's release is years and years. And it's only coincidental that he would be like, you stamp your form, sonny, and stop wasting my time. And has a real legitimate disconnect from his murderous past that allows them to reconnect in Zihuatanejo. Red was up for parole not long before Andy's escape, and then and then he goes up for parole again, which is t comes in ten year time. Yeah, and there was no guarantee. He's like, Red, if you're reading this, you're out. Do you remember the name of the town? I hope so. And he left the stuff, but if Red hadn't showed up, Andy was never going to go bust him out. It just was what it was. It was neat and tidy in a way that only like fiction can be. But that doesn't mean that I think we just kind of project that neatness on it because it was in many ways a really ugly, really terrible movie. You know, I mean, Hadley had kids. 
I don't know that there was that much difference in this movie between the convicts and the guards and the warden. Everyone was kind of a criminal. And just the difference is you're on one side of the bars and they're on another side. But they're just as corrupt. They're just as susceptible to bribery and and, and stuff like that. It just, I guess it's the line of the law, which is largely absent in this movie. Yeah, it's a sprawling story that I think is made neat and tidy because of how contained it is. But it spans, what, at least 30 years. Well, yeah, it's he said Andy did it in less than 20. So this movie spans 30 years if it's another 10 that Red gets out. Yeah, that's a long time, but it's contained to these to this one bromance and also to within the walls of Shawshank. So it feels manageable, I guess, in that sense. And... Maybe you can say that life in Shawshank isn't quite as fairy tale as it's made out to be because of all the years in between and all the times in between that we don't see that are probably boring and dangerous and sad. Yeah, going from nothing to him getting the funds for all his books and record players and stuff and to have the the whole operation in full swing, like all that stuff was decades in the making or at least years in the making. You know, in all the criticism that I've read on the Shawshank Redemption, none of it talks about the acting. Tell me what you think about Tim Robbins and Morgan Freeman's performances. Undoubtedly, Tim Robbins's best movie. He did, tried to do his thing like as a romantic lead with Meg Ryan and IQ and Hudsucker Proxy in and all this stuff. And I just, I don't really see it. And he was a crazy old guy by the time War of the Worlds rolled around. But I feel like this was his niche where he is a tall, seemingly cold, really out of place chills my blood just to look at you and he's not like particularly dashing he's not the tom cruise or whatever everybody and their brother was maybe up for this role but they were like frank dara who stephen king shaw shim scrimshaw what so maybe tim robbins was kind of the only one who could maybe sort of kind of get this role frank darabont took off the reed hayworth part because he knew that people were going to be submitting their actresses to play the lead role of rita hayworth because they don't know what the movie's about read a whole bunch of people were up for that role as well and there were some ridiculous pairing it was going to be like tom cruise and paul newman or something as red and andy but really yeah but i don't quote me on that it was definitely some weird casting where you're like what but then red is a big bearded irishman hence his joke you know why do they call you red maybe it's because i'm irish right he's a big white dude and they got morgan freeman because of his deep voice was ripe for voiceover do you know that this is the first Morgan Freeman voiceover role. What? Yeah. And obviously it was a good choice. And I cannot see Morgan Freeman, I cannot see anyone else in the role of Red than Morgan Freeman. And I guess, because to me, Tim Robbins is Andy, but maybe other people. Oh, it was Tom Hanks was definitely up for the Andy role and actually turned it down because of his commitments with Forrest Gump. Oh, yeah. I could see how that would conflict. The acting is perfectly fine. And I do like most of the character actors involved. I think Clancy Brown as Hadley is like the most terrifying, horrible person maybe on film. Like you hate him so thoroughly. And he's got the persona down just right. I think the warden was, you know, all terrible and stuff. And apparently these are two of the nicest dudes on set who got along with everybody. And that's weird (laughs) to me. William Sadler, who plays uh, Haywood and stuff. I love this cast of characters. They feel very at home. Even Mark Ralston from Aliens. He was, he was a hatch or something. Yeah. Well, Boggs in the movie, who's thoroughly despicable, but has that creepy kind of look where he could play anybody. Life is hard, but finding a really great podcast makes the days go by so much easier. Hi, my name is Blue Tulusma. 
I'm a writer, an emotional intelligence coach, and the host of Humanize with Blue Tulusma, a podcast where we believe that when you humanize everyone in the room, a great conversation is almost guaranteed. Join us every week here on Electricast as me and my guest co-hosts unpack big topics and interview even bigger personalities with a sense of humor and a dash of mischief. If you're looking for a new best friend in your head, we've got you covered. Did you note at the beginning of this movie, especially if you're walking into a cold, it's not a given that Andy is innocent. We never see no. him whether or not he commits the crime. He breaks the bottle. He's all drunk. He draws the gun of his own accord and then he chucks it into the river, supposedly. But he could have done it. Definitely. In the same way that Red did. And so I don't know that this was set up to be all feel goody until after the fact. When you look back and you're like, he totally deserved it because he was innocent and was only made a crook by the prison system or whatever. You don't just automatically assume that he's the good guy or that he's innocent because right. we don't have enough context for Tim Robbins and, his, and the characters that he plays. And in a way, you sort of hope that Morgan Freeman is innocent. And of course he isn't, which leads to his redemption because he so thoroughly, I think, redeems himself by having atoned for his crime by four decades in prison where he's no longer even connected to that kid that he once was. Such a great moment when Red tries to level with Andy and he's like, we're getting to be friends, right? And then Andy's like, I'm innocent, just like everyone else in here. And yeah. you can just like see the disappointment on Red's face and like how hungry he was for like an honest connection. Oh, that moment was so great. The moment when Red is watching Rita Hayworth and he's like all stoked by the hair scene when she flips her head, her head up. Yeah. That's a great moment. Even when Red is um sad and missing his friend Andy, Morgan Freeman has some great nuanced moments in this film. He's he's so lovable and also like a weird convict criminal on the inside smuggling contraband kind of way. <laughs> right. But it was not a place. It was like, oh, no, over there at that table, that's the do-gooders. They don't belong here. You know what I mean? They were just as tough and rough edged as everybody else. Sure. But a kindred spiritness, I think, brought that particular group together or maybe even attracted Andy to it. Yeah. It's the Frank Darabont group and because they all went on to be in the Green Mile and stuff. Not all of them, but a lot of them did. Right, which people argue is actually the better Frank Darabont prison movie. Well, it's got Tom Hanks, dude. That one was weirder. You have to be more on board. You're like, he's a convict, but he's a magical convict. This one was the illusion. This was the con. Andy put the con in convict and how he duped the warden who really thought he had the upper hand and there was no way about it. Like when he crosses Andy and says, you know, I, I want you here as my pet accountant or whatever. And and I don't care what this other guy says a month in the hole. Like that's pretty crappy. And he felt that he was completely beyond reproach, that he couldn't possibly have any consequences because Andy was firmly under his thumb. And the satisfaction that we get from watching him not only escape, not only prosper, but bring down the warden. I mean, the Green Mile doesn't really have a lot of redemption. It's actually kind of sad and horrifying. Nobody really has a happy ending spoiler, but I think Shawshank Redemption is the better movie. This has got to be for some kids because I was already what? Uh, I was almost an adult by the time this movie was released. I basically was an adult, but there got to be kids that this is their Saturday Night Fever where they grew up on the television edit constantly on reruns on TNT and they see the unedited version and they're like, oh my God, that's dirty. <laughs> right. Or I never knew what they were saying, but <laughs> now I understand. Do you think you would be the guy who breaks the first night? 
I would like to say no. And I think about this kind of a lot, how I would handle prison. I definitely would not handle prison well with a cellmate. If I were in my Andy style cell in the corner and I didn't have a wall that I shared with somebody on one side, maybe I could get by. If I could stand up and stretch my arms overhead and not touch the ceiling, or if I could lay down on the floor, I could stave off claustrophobia like I did in the pyramids, but it would be a tough thing. <laughs> However, laying in bed 23 hours a day, um, not bothering anybody, not being forced to socialize on group projects or whatever, going outside for an hour a day and having books handed to me every day, that would be the bomb. Yeah. You just sit and read all day. Yeah. Books, you know, if you enjoy reading, books are as an effective transport as anything in the world. Second only to movies, which apparently they also had access to. Now, granted, Andy was like, I saw it three times that last month or this month or whatever, and which means they probably run that same movie forever on like by the pound on consignment or something. And they only have a few movies to show. But that seems like a pretty good deal. And they're all hooting and hollering over Rita Hayworth. I'm curious, do you think that the Tommy storyline actually propels the story forward? Or do you think it might be maybe kind of unnecessary? I think that he dipped in just enough to make a stir and then died. He was a convenience. He's a MacGuffin. It cements for us the, the terribleness of the warden and of the captain of the guards. Probably the largest convenience in the plot. It's not something that Andy could have calculated or planned for. Having per the person who was a bunkie with the, the murderer that he's maintained his innocence, the murder that he's maintained his innocence against for decades, that's pretty convenient. It is. And I think he's a MacGuffin in the sense that he's intended to make us think that he foments and motivates Andy's next step. But if you were to remove Tommy from the story altogether, yep. I think that we would probably have come to the same end. Yeah, it was the turn where Andy, it becomes clear that Norton is evil has no interest in having Andy for a friend and doesn't have his best interest at heart so that he can completely sink the warden and drive him to suicide by the end. But Andy would have rock hammered his way out of Shawshank kind of no matter what. Yeah, I think it was good that he did. It's a toss up for me. Is Andy more of a convenience or the massive sewage pipe that just kind of lets out into the into the river next to the prison? We, but Andy is far seeing and all knowing. And you think that everything was so carefully planned. I often wondered if he didn't break through, if he like, oh, like here, I broke into the exterior room. But people can access those pipes. And so did he just like poke a little hole and then at the last minute knock his way through at the very end to make a giant hole? Like he can't have an open hole extending into the pipe room or whatever. You also can't bust open a metal pipe with a rock and a bare hand. Yeah, it's tough. And then it looked like when he does and then puts his face in the poop hole, that pipe is awfully small. So he would yeah. have needed like a jackhammer to create a body-sized opening. Because if Tim Robbins doesn't fit in the cockpit of an F-14, he's probably not going to fit very easily into the sewage pipe of an old-ass prison. I was thinking a lot about this. And at this point in the film, there's so much momentum behind us and there's so much goodwill that the filmmakers have built up and the characters have built up it really doesn't matter at that point in the movie anything could have happened and we would have been like yay yay <laughs> and then it's just the icing on the cake for him and red to reunite you know the tension that they try to create with the rope all man called auto style or with the um Red on the chair in Brooks's old apartment building. Like all that is just kind of for fun. Yes, it was. But I think it is effective. Actually, I think the turn is so clean and so abrupt 
it's like it's startling. We we see him following in Brooks's footsteps, and he could have chosen like because Brooks said, "I'm not. I've decided not to stay." And you're like, "What does that mean, Brooks?" And who knows for Red except for that promise. The I think the length of rope worked. He's all in a fit of despair at that point. Get busy living or get busy dying. Was that for Red's benefit? Was he like, "Okay, I'm gonna do it"? Had he reached a point of despair and and decided if he didn't make it out that he was gonna die? And you know, the not showing up, and it's the longest night of my life. He's like, You're keep putting me behind schedule. You better be sick or dead in there. I shit you not. And the guard comes down. He all he does is look into the cell, and we're tight on his face. And it's just, Oh my god. And there is a world, <laughs> and you're like, ha, ha. Right? There's a world where Red is redeemed, watching his friend who turned out to be innocent hang himself in despair. For that means, you know, for Andy, I decided to go on where Brooks couldn't do it at the freaking foodway asking permission to take a piss. There's a world where he really does kill himself and that could happen and it could still kind of be a happy movie, happy redemption for Red. You know what I mean? I don't put it hmm. above reason that Andy could have or would have died in that scene. Obviously, a very different movie. But to play up those misdirects in a way that I think were effective and then turn them on their head made it all the more satisfying. Hmm. That was really pretty, Wes. Yeah. Red the, that entire night, who knows Andy best, at no point, and for the purposes of the movie, granted, was like, maybe he escaped. He was never thinking that. Red firmly <laughs> believed it, and he was the reliable narrator, so we believed it. Right. And his face, when he pokes it over the edge of the hole, oh, such a great shot when it's the warden and then Morgan Freeman enters frame. Oh, my God. The look on his face is priceless. And I often think, you know, because Morgan Freeman is a really good actor. He goes in and, and, and Hadley's like, face the warden. And the warden turns and he's like, well... Nothing. No, like, what about this? What about that? He ex fully expects Red knows. And Red's like, well, what? And he doesn't know. <laughs> Thick as thieves you are. Honest Warden, not a word. And it's true. All of that over decades, Andy had a plan, was about to execute it, never even gave Red a heads up. Yeah, so you think you're friends, right? Yeah. Sometimes you think you're friends and you just don't know what's going on in your friend's head. So there were just dudes uh, who escaped a prison, and I don't recall where it was. They were in their mid-30s or whatever. They broke out. They tunneled through a wall. Andy Dufresne style. This is like three days ago. And they got seven miles away from the prison. And where did they get caught? Having breakfast the next morning at IHOP. No. And I don't know if they were in their jumpsuits or whatever, or if they were like suspicious or something. Somebody called the cops and the cops went in and were like, all right, guys, time to go back. No. Uh, right? It's, I think it's really hard. And for Andy to stroll in with his polished shoes and his shirt and do business and have the audacity to ask them to add to the outgoing mail and stuff or whatever, to the, the newspaper detailing all the crimes and stuff. It was just so thorough and, and planned. And he alluded to it. He said, you know, that he only exists on paper. I, I conjured him out of thin air. We knew all that stuff existed and it just all fell into place. None of it was convenient. I can do nothing but admire the setup and how meticulous they were in orchestrating this landing pad for when Darabont makes this leap. And it's like, we're supposed to believe that all of a sudden he goes from utter despair to being a free rich man. It's like the best thing ever. <laughs> Although, did were they meticulous about the casting? Because I don't think that Tim Robbins and Bob Gunton are the same size. <laughs> well, Tim Robbins is f is six five, so probably not. <laughs> He's huge. 
He's massive, and and yet he strolls in, presumably wearing the warden's suit. Yep. And shoes. Yeah, I have to look that up. That's a good point. I mean, how often do you look at a man's shoes? Maybe he was wearing like <laughs> flood pants or something, where the like hems are way up to his knees. I was looking at it when he enters into the bank. I'm like, either he got a new suit or <laughs> he's just sagging below the coat. Yeah, maybe something's going on because even the shoes themselves, I was like, Tim Robbins has to have massive feet. <laughs> but all awfully calm and, and confident, uh, you know, he's convinced that there's no like the police aren't on TikTok or whatever and sending out like pictures of him to all the young followers and stuff can stroll into the bank. That uh, driver's license had no pictures on it or anything. It doesn't matter. He can show his face because no one has seen his face in 20 years. Yeah. Something that you'd have to be a lot more meticulous about now and probably not go into an IHOP. But, you know, I could see having a mad craving for that. What do they call it? The flap stack? Uh, flap stack? I don't know. <laughs> something. <laughs> All right. What would be your first out of prison escape from prison meal? Um, probably like Iron Man, an American hamburger. Cheeseburger first, and then we'll do whatever we got to do. You got to get burgers in prison. I don't know. I mean, they're they're convenient. They're tidy or whatever. You can't hurt anybody with a, with a burger like you can a carrot. So maybe, but a good one. Pizza is too hit or miss or whatever, but there's no bad part of a burger except pickles. What? Blasphemous. Yeah. I love pickles. And if a pickle comes with my pastrami sandwich, okay. But outside of the wrapping paper, or so it doesn't infect the bread too much, pickles are awesome. Pickles on sandwiches are a crime. What? Yep. No. I don't care if it's a Popeye's spicy crispy chicken sandwich. No pickles, please. I'll eat them as a side. What? It's like a banana smoothie. No matter what else is in there, I don't care how many different fruits. If you put a banana in that M or effort, that's a banana smoothie. I agree with you on all things with smoothies. Bananas dominate every dessert. They cannot come within a mile of a fruit salad. Yep. But they make a pretty good smoothie base. I'm not saying it's bad. All I'm saying is if you put pickles in a hamburger, it's now a pickle burger. That is not the ch the cheapest hamburger of all time in the world. The McDonald's cheeseburger, not yes. like the quarter pounder, but like the little one. Yes. All it has is pickles. Right. It's a burger, cheese, and two pickles. Exactly. <laughs> Cheap condiment that you can use as filler. I I think you're pretty all right, and sometimes your taste in movies is okay, but on pickles, you're wrong. Poster quote. <laughs> And that's our discussion on the Shawshank Redemption, unless you think that this is not ratings proof. The, the people have spoken. It's undeniable. I get it if you've seen it a thousand times and you're like, oh, I don't want to watch that again. Fine. But if you don't like this movie, then you don't like movies and don't understand how movies should be made. At least this kind of movie. Does it put, really push any boundaries? No. Is it the most authentic or whatever movie ever produced? No. But it's the best kind of movie, I think. It stirs up all your emotions from hate to anger to disdain to to unbridled joy and the sense of satisfaction and, and redemption. It's all of those things. Go watch it now again. Rekindle your love from 30 years ago and go revisit the Shawshank Redemption playing on HBO Max. And let us know what you think about it too. 818-835-0473 is our hotline. You can call us. You can leave us a voicemail or send us a text message. You can also reach us at orwhatevermovies at gmail.com. And check out 200 plus other reviews at orwhatevermovies.com or wherever you get podcasts. So we hope you enjoyed this discussion and we'll see you next time. Hi, I'm Mark. And I'm Peter. 
We're the founders of Electrocast Media, bringing you great podcasts like Nightmare Road Stories, Tech Talk Revolution, and Bodacious Minds. Electrocast Networks include Ruby for Female Empowerment, The Best Business Network, and GPN for Geopolitics. We built this company to create community and amplify diverse voices, and we really appreciate your support. So, keep listening to Electrocast Podcasts and hear the culture. Welcome to Tuning Into Sound Wellbeing, where we harmonize your mind, body, and soul. I'm Amanda, your sound therapy expert. And I'm Stephen, the curious explorer uncovering the mysteries of sound. Together, we explore vibrations, frequencies, and the power of sound therapy and tuning forks. Discover ancient wisdom, reduce stress, and tune into a healthier life. Subscribe to Tuning Into Sound Wellbeing today.